and welcome to the fanfiction tapes. I am your host for the day because Maya is, uh, I think, being taken to Guam or something. Uh, <laughs> so I am your host, Dylan, for today. And alongside, I have my guest today. Hi, uh, that would be me. I am Helena on Discord, Edelweiss, uh, pronouns she, her. Coolio. And, as always, I am our producer, Ian, pronouns he, him. And my pronouns are Dylan, uh, just so we're all understanding. <laughs> <laughs> and our topic today is classical tragedy. Much like this podcast is going to be a tragedy today. <laughs> 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 uh, you know, I, I what, what ending are we going for here in terms of classical tragedy? I'm hoping for a Macbeth. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, you know, out of out of the sort of plethora of a library that we have to choose from, I think Macbeth might be the most solid. <laughs> Less problematic. As long as it's not an Oedipus. Please, no. <laughs> Steph Oedipus, what are you doing? <laughs> okay, let's talk about this ye old tropes and genre. So, very old. <laughs> Greek old. And you know how old the Greeks are? Pretty old. <laughs> they're In older way back yeah they're older than the bible so christians yeah things existed before jesus take that um <laughs> is that like the opposite of checkmate atheists <laughs> yeah <laughs> checkmate christians and other religions are also available uh but yeah uh how much greek stuff have you guys read oh gosh too much um my basically the entire crux of my university degree was based around the original greek plays and tragedies um and there was a healthy dose of simple classical history piled on top of that so uh, I know too much. <laughs> I had nobody to tell me to stop, so. Oh, good. We picked a good guest for today's episode, then. I haven't read much Greek tragedy myself directly, but one of my favorite podcasts is Let's Talk About Myths, Baby, and uh, the host Liv frequently does episodes where she will read through Greek tragedies, and she has recently covered um, Oedipus and uh, Antigone on her show within Ooh. the last few months. Good picks. So, Dylan, I know you weren't here for last week's episode, but we did briefly cover over exactly what is tragedy on there, and I, it's slightly recapped in the script. You want to go over that? I mean... Sure. Uh, we would describe it as a cynical story with 
mostly a downer of an ending. <laughs> and downer of endings they usually are. Well, it's, it's, it's a bit more than that. Not every cynical story with a bad end is, is a tragedy. There's specific things about the protagonist, usually, that make it a tragedy. I mean, is it always? I mean, it happens a lot, but there's always outliers, you know. Well, I mean, definitions, typically, especially in the writing world, um, are extremely fluid. So what sort of was the rigidity of what can, was considered uh, a tragedy in classical times? While it hasn't really changed, it's broadened. Um, so you'll, you'll have stories that don't necessarily fit the entirety of what might be considered a classical tragedy, but there's enough of it in there that it could, it could pass as one, definitely. But sort of the quality of the protagonist, or at least the character, the perspective character, it is typically that of a downfall that is self-imposed um so the typical quality of a tragedy is that you're following a character who has some sort of fatal flaw and throughout the story you see that bring about their downfall usually by their own hands um and that that's really what makes it a tragedy is that you're watching somebody who in most cases should probably know better um basically tear themselves apart on their own. Pretty much. <laughs> Can you tell I was a theater major? <laughs> what? You? No. <laughs> well, it's funny that you brought up both Antigone and Oedipus, because those were the first sort of classical Greek tragedies that I started with in my degree back in university um, to kind of be baby's first tragedy as it was in that it's very very clear sort of the the layout and the structure of these characters and how they act and how the story progresses and you can see very clearly where the mistakes are made for these characters um which makes them very accessible in terms of the classics um if you go back further you tend to kind of lose people when you start to talk about like the Dionysia which is where sort of Greek theater began with these huge theatrical parades and tributes to Dionysus, um, you, you tend to get people's eyes glossing over a little bit. Definitely. Uh, look, I I've, I haven't consumed much uh, stuff, mostly for school. That's the only place I got it. And what I got was mostly, I got a bit of Macbeth, did some Odyssey, but Odyssey is not really one of those classic tragedy ones. It's more of a, wow, what an adventure we've been on here. <laughs> it's an Odyssey, <laughs> literally. Yeah, who would have thunk it? Uh, but yeah, when you do think of them, usually it's some crazy dude just sort of spiraling. <laughs> <laughs> I think Macbeth is, like, the perfect example of that. It's just a dude spiraling. It's like, oh, met some witches, now I gotta kill a bunch of kids. 
Anakin, is that you? Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, What, for me, what makes sort of the the genre of tragedy, especially in in both classical writings and in Shakespearean writing, is that the characters start out as decent people. Like, they're characters that you kind of start out wanting to root for. They're either in a place that's pretty sympathetic, or they're in a good place, like at the start of Macbeth. He's just finished this this massive war, um, and he gets to go home, which is cool. He's got a loving wife. She's a little crazy, but don't worry about it. Um, and it's it's... It kind of takes you aback how quickly things fall apart. But it is that starting point that kind of gives you that framework for the rest of the tragedy itself. Because um, if if you just started with a character who's a terrible person and nobody could sympathize with, then the progression of that tragedy would not work at all. Um, and it it even sort of in the classical plays... If you read the entirety of Oedipus, which is, if I remember correctly, three different pieces of writing, um, you see where it starts and you see where it ends. And the interference of sort of forces that are greater than man is a big thing in especially the Greek classics. And that really sucks because it's not something it's not a fate that's brought about necessarily by the actions of the character or the actions of the character in trying to avoid this god-given fate actually end up playing into it which is exactly what happens in Oedipus mm-hmm. but it's it's kind of that starting point and then the inevitability of it that makes it makes it to me so impactful well, well said. <laughs> <laughs> I told you, you guys weren't going to get me to shut up this time. <laughs> no, no, great. So, do you guys sort of enjoy these stories? Like, in general? Like, let me say, one of my favorite things is watching someone go through terrible things. Like, but then in the end, everything's happy. They won. So Mm. how do you guys feel about, like, you know, someone who starts out in a pretty good place and ends up tumbling? (laughs) Like, how does that compare? I mean, depending on how you characterize the the person and what exactly their fatal flaw is really changes how you feel about the ending mm-hmm. right yeah i'd i'd agree with that for me it depends on if it's done well and that that can be entirely subjective um but there there are times where the the end of a tragedy, uh, the moment of sort of release and realization and the conclusion hits really, really well. 
Um, we, we have a couple examples on the list that are some of my modern favorites, but other times writers will get most of the way and then they'll screw something up and it just kind of falls flat on its face. So it does honestly entirely depend on the execution for me. Does, um, sort of what, like... Do you turn on a character at some point, do you think? Like, you go from, this is a good person, but now they kind of need to go. They were good at one point. You know, when you're thinking of, like, a Macbeth, who starts out as a supposedly pretty good guy <laughs> for, you know, being a, a king. You know, debatable whether kings can be good in general. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Down with the monarchy. <laughs> It says the Welsh. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But by the end of the narrative, we're kind of just like, this guy sucks, yeah. Die. (laughs) Like, is that something you guys appreciate? Is the turning of, like, a change of perception in a character and how their fate occurs? For me, I suppose a hallmark of a good or even great tragedy is sort of the balance of seeing this character go too far at a point and wanting them to suffer consequences from that, but at the same time maintaining sympathy for them. Because uh, tragedy, in my view should never get to the point where you don't identify with the character you're following. Because at that point, you've kind of lost the plot. Literally and figuratively. Um, so, y- yes, but also no? Question mark? I suppose it depends on how easily you fall into schadenfreude. Because I guess if you do actually hit a point where you're no longer really identifying with the character, you're either just going to step away from the story or you're going to start actively rooting for their downfall. Yeah. I mean, Helena, at the time of recording this, is speaking of wanting to root for previously main character's downfall, in a few days, uh, the finale to Attack on Titans the anime is coming out. Yes, it is. <laughs> and you want to talk about, cla- you know, sort of that classic tragedy sort of stuff. Who boy. <laughs> oh, man. I, I know that opinions on Attack on Titan have been mixed for a while, if not since it first came out. But man, I still, I will stand by that ending. I love it so much. It hurts so bad. <laughs> and I love it. Um, but yeah, the, the the protagonist of Attack on Titan, Aaron, not to give any manga spoilers because I have read the ending, um, but he he is very much a pretty good example of a modern classic archetype of a tragic character um because 
he's starting in a good place and through a fatal flaw kind of brings about their own destruction. Like that is the character in a nutshell. And it's been fantastic to watch. And I cannot wait to see how Mappa does the ending. Yeah. Well, so within these stories, though, what are your favorite tropes that show up often in these? So I've, I'm looking at the handful that I listed in the script. And of course, there's a lot more tropes than, than just those that, uh, that commonly show up in, uh, tragic works. I particularly like the way that a character's fatal flaw in a tragedy wouldn't necessarily be a bad trait if it was a different genre. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you care to give an example? I think Antigone might be a good example of this. So... If I recall correctly, it's kind of a a sequel to Oedipus, right? Yes. Uh, Oedipus is uh, Antigone and Ismene's father. Um, okay, so basically after the end of Oedipus, um, two of Oedipus's sons are fighting over who's going to be king of Thebes. Thebes since he stepped down and there's a, there was a civil war and both of them die in battle and their uncle ends up as the ruler of the city and he decrees that as punishment neither of them is to be buried and Antigone her fatal flaw here is that she believes in her own moral compass, no matter what the law says. Yeah, more or less. So Antigone is a character who can be best described as loyal to a stubborn fault. Uh, she believes that it is right and her duty as a sister to bury her brother, um, despite the the danger and the consequence, um, which... <laughs> unfortunately uh ends up being her own death i i'm remembering now um when when liv covered this on um let's talk about myths uh she mentioned some uh modern reinterpretations of antigone that recontextualize it in different sorts of um Issues, uh, ad adaptations, where, for example, the instead of making it so that Creon has decreed that the the brothers shall not be buried, and Antigone goes and does that anyway. Uh, um, there was a, I'm, I'm forgetting the name of the work, but it was a adaptation where Creon gets elected governor of someplace texas i think on an anti-abortion platform and then goes back on that 
And Antigone in that adaptation is an anti-abortion crusader. Ooh. Pretty cringe. Yeah. No, no. Actually, I was going to say that's a pretty interesting interpretation. Not necessarily uh-huh, one that I agree uh-huh. with, but that is a fascinating way of looking at it. I mean, the act of being anti-abortion, that's, that's cringe. But this this idea of being so certain in your moral compass that you know what is right, no matter what the law says, it really depends on, you know, what your compass is pointing to, whether that's a fatal flaw or a heroic character trait. Absolutely. And in response to Dylan's original question, I I was also going to say fatal flaw, bread and butter. Every time I love seeing a mm-hmm. trait that would otherwise be a good quality be turned into something that leads to a character's downfall. Like it is so good. Yeah. So obviously a lot of creators create uh, tragedy. None more so than uh, not my countryman, because I'm not English, uh, but the fellow guy from the same island as me, uh, Bill Shakespeare. <laughs> Willie Shakes. Yes. What do you What do you guys think of his tragedies? Obviously, we've talked about some of them here. They are very of the time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the old 1600s, right mm-hmm. slapped and banging your face. I think to this day, Shakespeare has written not only some of my favorite tragedies, but just some of my favorite plays in general. They are always so fun, so open to interpretation and adaptation, uh, including the tragedies. If If you do them right, they are brilliant um so we've we've mentioned already probably my enduring favorite which is Macbeth. um but i'm i'm also pretty partial play. to hamlet yeah <laughs> but uh i am also pretty pretty partial to hamlet and i have a soft spot for king lear as well i did that in my my fourth year of studies and i'd never read it before um but it's it's stuck with me for quite a while and uh why don't we why don't we talk about like the bane of like most high school and middle school students? Even though I didn't have to deal with it, but I think a lot of people do. L- let's talk about the proverbial elephant in the room. What do you what are, what's Romeo and Julia and how does this fit in? Where does it fit in? So, Romeo and Juliet's not really a tragedy in the same way as these other ones we've been talking about. It's tragic, but the bad ending is mostly bad luck. It's a comedy of errors. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, it, it... it's basically Tom and Jerry at the end there. <laughs> that's that's an apt comparison. 
she's dead. No, she's not. He's dead. Oh, no. I just think back to, like, <laughs> the epic rap battles of history with Romeo Onomio. Oh, no. <laughs> 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 oh, no. It is uh, ridiculous. And it, it, like the tragedy is like these two like young, dumb teenagers are, are being kept apart by, you know, values of the time. Like, oh, we don't like those people. You can't hang, you know, they did this to... I I am going to quote something. I cannot, for the life of me, remember what channel it was, and I apologize profusely for that, but it is one of my favorite things, and I still quote it, like, monthly. You love him. You met him Sunday. It's barely Thursday morning. Slow down, crazy. <laughs> it's true. Uh-huh. But yeah, no. Romeo and Juliet. I suffered through that. And I do mean suffered, because why is it in every single curriculum? It's the one thing that every single student, English major, whoever I've met, absolutely dreads reading. It's not necessarily bad, it's just a bit of a slog, especially when you know that you're going to have to read it. But it is, it's it's a tragic comedy, it's, it's a combination of the two genres and it has some qualities from both but it makes it weird in that sense it's not completely one or the other like the story like what happens isn't comedic but the way it happens is kind of like it's not comedic that these two like star-crossed lovers died but it's comedic in like the extent they were pushed to <laughs> and then they had this plan and completely fucked it up <laughs> that's that's a pretty apt summary yeah i suspect that it's in every high school english curriculum because it's about teenagers that's uh, like the only reason i could really see for it yeah yeah but like in my school, my drama teacher said like uh she like went to find like one of the adaptations and she got the one with like I don't know if it was the full bloom sex scene in it. Oh god. Mm. <laughs> but you, a bunch of fourteen year old boys, you know, something you know. <laughs> Wild Oh man. No, I remember that as well. And I think maybe what turned me off of the play might have been the film adaptations because they're just so unnecessarily raunchy in that sense. Well, and want... why would you ever want to show this to like 13 year olds? I mean, yeah, just watch Nomeo and Juliet. <laughs> <laughs> Wild. The f Speaking of film adaptations of Romeo and Juliet, the first one that comes to mind is, have you guys seen the, the 1996 one by Baz Luhrmann? Is that yes. the one where it's modern times? Yes. 
Yeah, that was the one she was talking about. <laughs> mm, mm-hmm. it was, I think it's also stirred some controversy since then because the director pressured, like, the young actress who played Juliet to be, you know, get be nude and sexy. And I think, I believe that's something I read. <laughs> I have vague memories of it, and my impression of it is that it is is weird. I mean, yeah. Like, I, I haven't watched it. But I question how Romeo and Juliet even, like, works in modern context. So, the thing about it is it's modern... Only in terms of dress and setting. The dialogue is still Elizabethan. Wow. Wild. So you have scenes like where someone will say, draw your sword, and he pulls out a handgun, and it focuses on on the gun, and it says sword on the side. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh no, now I remember. (laughs) Hollow 90s, I am asking, what drugs are you on? (laughs) And where can I get some? Damn. Oh. Completely and utterly wild. (laughs) Talking about other Shakespeare, um, I did want to mention Mm -hmm. Othello. Yes. Which I think I actually did read in high school. For that one, I don't think I've ever read a a play, a tragic play, any of any of other Shakespeare's works where I've wanted to grab the protagonist and shake him and go, "What are you doing, man?" Hamlet a little bit maybe towards the end, but <sighs> Othello is more frustrating. I think that that's also uh, a hallmark of a pretty good tragedy when you do desperately want to take the character by the shoulders and just shake them and be like, you're being an idiot, stop. There's still time to turn it around, just stop. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm... Uh... It was nice for you to say that, but, uh... you know, th- I love democracy. But this is no longer one. Because I'm going to make us talk about modern stuff. And the first one I want to talk about is one... Well, fortunately, for once, I know three out of four of the things on this list. Wow. That's big for me. <laughs> Usually my Indians want... And it's like, I can get one here, maybe. <laughs> there's, one on, there's one on here that, inf- that it's unfortunate that Maya had to miss this for. Uh <laughs> But let's talk about let's talk about episode three, Star Wars. Star Wars prequels, yes. My favorite <laughs> of oh boy, the Skywalker oh <laughs> saga. All nine. That's my favorite. <laughs> he doesn't like sand, Dylan. That's in the movie before. Okay, I mean, that's Attack of the Clones. Have you felt sand? It is coarse and rough and gets everywhere. Helena, you're Canadian. You don't get sand. You get snow and snow. Fair. <laughs> I I live Fair in Hawaii. Plan. I have I have been to many beaches. Mm. 
I'm familiar with sand. I live an hour from the coast. <laughs> I've been to many beaches. But anyway, that was Attack of the Clones. We're all about Revenge of a Sith. I'm much yes. better movie. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. And honestly, very good tragedy. <laughs> Order 66 is nuts. And the character of Anakin Skywalker. Although a little dodgy-wodgy how we got here. At the end of the day, I think his arc really works. It does. But when I saw this in the script, I wanted to point something out. Because absolutely, Anakin's story throughout the prequels is uh, a tragedy. And that especially comes to a head in episode three. However, it's the long-awaited setup to the conclusion of a tragedy that we got in episodes four, five, six, especially the end of episode six. Mm -hmm. Yes. Episode three does a very, very good job at everything up to a point, And then you can pick that up over the course of the next three movies, and especially at the very end of Return of the Jedi. Yeah, it, it like, the end of episode six, it's still a bit tragic, you know. But it's triumphant as well at the same time. Whereas, you know, episode three, <laughs> not very triumphant. We're just glad some a couple of you guys survived. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. I really think that... Because we're not only looking at it from Anakin's perspective, but also how, you know, Jedi get completely wiped out. <laughs> uh, you know, the failures of the Jedi Council, how the Republic was so easily transformed. Like, you know, this is how democracy ends. <laughs> Thunderous applause. applause. <laughs> that's like one of the things that i think the prequels will always have over the sequel trilogy is just it's a perfect if you remove george lucas's like weird decisions and bad dialogue <laughs> it's a very good story <laughs> like the bones are there yeah he just needed an editor who could tell him no yeah like Meanwhile, the the sequels are what I describe as, you know, like, it's, there's no bones. It's like, it's Play-Doh being put, pushed out of a tube. <laughs> 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 and it's not a good shape either. <laughs> well, I think with episode three, you definitely can see where... George Lucas did his homework in the sense of the tragedy that he wanted to shape because it is that very, very firm, classic uh, hero versus fate kind of notion. And you get that as far back as episode one with this big prophecy of the chosen one and this impossible pressure that Anakin's put under from the moment he's brought into the order. And it is sort of a higher power imposing things on our protagonist until the point that he makes all of these mistakes. 
I also find it interesting that, you know, at the end of the day, <laughs> the prequels are like, they're Anakin's story and Palpatine. And then you just have like Obi-Wan, he's there. He's just a guy. <laughs> but he, it's weird how to position that character then, isn't it? But he's just got to be the guy who stops Anakin for the time, <laughs> you know? And it's tragic for him too. <laughs> that, that was his brother. He loved him. <laughs> this is just an excuse for you to use all the prequel memes. It's very quotable, which makes it good. <laughs> uh, speaking of, let's move on to something else that can get memed. Let's talk about Infinity War. Now, despite Marvel completely sucking ass now, uh, Infinity War is a peak, <laughs> I'd say. And it's very good. <laughs> you guys, uh, you know, Infinity War fans? <laughs> I want to say it's the first where we had a really big loss, but I guess some of the Captain America movies did have somewhat downer endings. Winter Soldier in particular. I mean, or not Civil, Winter Soldier, Civil, Civil War. War. Yeah. Yeah, that was the one I was thinking of. Yeah. I, I, I'm saying Winter Soldier, and I'm picturing the, the Captain America versus Iron Man fight, and that was Civil War. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but... Uh... Yeah, Infinity War, incredibly down an ending, and, you know, like Fano says, it was inevitable, though. <laughs> and it's sort of the underrated thing about the build-up to Infinity War is that all of, like, the major Phase 2 and Phase 3 crossover stuff was built for that, you know, trying to make Ultron, Civil War, Splits everyone apart. <laughs> so it's like we're watching a tragedy across multiple films. And then when we get <laughs> get there, oh boy, that ending is rough. <laughs> mm. You should have gone for the head. But ultimately, as it is a Marvel thing, it gets repaid like, uh, what was it? Uh, three movies later, <laughs> you know, we get an Ant-Man yeah. movie and Captain Marvel, and then everything's <laughs> back to normal. We just lose a few bodies. <laughs> that was sort of... I don't want to say that it's where I fell off the, the MCU wagon, um, but it, it's kind of where I started being over it um, was Endgame. Um yeah, they, they gave themselves an impossible task in trying to conclude what they set up with Infinity War. Like, they set themselves up for failure. That's the real tragedy here, but... <laughs> and um, then they kept on going, <laughs> even after that. <laughs> oh, oh, gosh. We, we all know the modern state of Disney. If it makes money, quality doesn't matter. But, um, honestly, I, I will be the, the controversial one and say that I think Infinity War is extremely tragic, but I'm not entirely sure that I would personally slot it into the category of a tragedy. 
it's not necessarily. It's just like a villain wins movie. Like, ultimately, like, a tragedy is something more like Civil War, I'd say. Even though they aren't huge, as big a loss as Infinity War. I think that's more of a tragedy. You know, like the breakdown in relationship between Steve Rogers and Tony Stark. Yeah, yeah, that I could mm, say yeah. is a bit closer. Again, though, I don't want to say that tragedy as a genre is like this super, super rigid thing. Um, it, it can sort of flow and conform and, and appear in ways that you wouldn't really expect. So definitely I could see it, but also my own sort of biases lean me away from labeling it as one. And who boy, talking about the, the third tragedy we have here, Arcane. This is Woo! tragic as hell. <laughs> oh boy. Arcane. They could have subtitled the this as Arcane, the tragedy of Jinx. Oh, yes. My god. My poor poor girl. <laughs> Just from everything. Everything everything that could go wrong did go wrong. Whether whether we look at individual character stories and how tragic they are. Like, if we look at Victor, if we look at Vi, if we look at Jace, Mel, oh god. <laughs> Everybody here is in their own tragedy, and we just happen to be watching them interweave. And it's so great. Yeah, it's like when the best thing is us going, well, at least Echo and Heimerding are hanging out. <laughs> like they're, they're just a... chilling down there. <laughs> yeah, Please leave uh... them alone. <laughs> yeah, like we just go, that's the best ending anyone has got in the show. <laughs> like, ooh boy. <laughs> I think it's super interesting to sort of break Arcane apart into its various character stories. And and as as we very explicitly just said i think jinx is probably the clearest cut in terms of just massive tragic character um like this poor girl's fatal flaw is that she just wants so badly to help <laughs> mm -hmm. like oh it hurts so bad yeah going and it really is weird in a sense that Jinx is, for all intents and purposes, like, I want to say, like, the the main character <laughs> as well. And so she does fit perfectly into, you know, that um, that tragic main character trope. Like... Despite a lot more people getting screen time and stuff, like, Jinx is the one who moves the plot forward the most. My girl is zooming. <laughs> what, what, what's your favorite arcane tragedy? Oh, boy. I would say, honestly, it would be, it would be Jinx, but I'm not sure whether it would be the moment where... Her gadgets actually work for the first time, mm -hmm. and it's horrible consequences. Yeah. 
or whether it's the scene with the final confrontation between her and Vi and Kate and Silco, and she just flies off the handle and lets off a burst and kills her dad for the second time. Yeah. Yeah. Like, but just looking at the characters, you know. <laughs> and that ending, want to talk about tragic. Wow. <laughs> they had voted for it. The council had agreed. <laughs> uh... <laughs> and, oh, speaking of that ending, that that ending is a really great example of uh, a trope we're going to be talking about in a couple weeks of mm-hmm. dramatic irony. Probably yes. one of my favorite tropes. <laughs> yeah, it's like, if Jinx doesn't do this, things get a lot better pretty quickly. <laughs> you know? Uh-huh. But but Jinx doesn't know that the council has just voted. <laughs> Admittedly, she probably doesn't necessarily care. care. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah. By that point, Jinx is dissociated. <laughs> My my favorite part about the ending is just what she tells Vi at the end about how she thought that her older sister could love the person she's become and just how jaded she is to realize that that's not going to happen because they've just grown into completely different people. And it's that moment of catharsis of Jinx kind of acknowledging, I'm the bad guy, I know that, but screw everyone else, I don't owe anyone anything. God, that entire last last scene. Oh, it is oh. so, so good. From, are we still sisters? <laughs> like, from there on, it's, it's peak. 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 (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's so good. I'm so excited for season two. More tragedy. Oh, yeah. Mm. Oh, yeah. Mm. I'm ready to have my heart ripped Mm. right out. It's, like, (laughs) funny, but, like, there are not many things that I can go, like, I love this. (laughs) And, like... The ending makes me sad. Because what I'm normally attracted to is, like, like I from episode one to, like, whatever, I want pain, and then 25, I want happiness. <laughs> Whereas with Arcade, it's like, I'm just in, like, a constant, like, three-episode cycle of pain. <laughs> we, we, you know, I'm happy... I'm concerned, and then I'm pain. I'm happy, concerned, and pain. <laughs> That's just the kind of the cycle of that show. <laughs> so I think, you know, I'll ask. You know, we've talked about the ones that I can talk about. 
How about we bring our individual ones? Uh, want to talk about a little tragedy that we like? Uh, why don't we start with Miss Guess Helena? Helena, is there any tragedy you want to talk about? Any show, book, play, anything at all? Oh gosh, I think we've pretty much covered all of my favorites. <laughs> <laughs> there was a. When I was growing up, I had some pretty strange, like, reading interests, and I read a series of unfortunate events by Lemony Snicket when I was maybe oh. six or seven years old, um, and that probably remains one of my favorite sort of modern tragic pieces of literature. Um, there's just so much... So much that goes wrong, so much that happens to the point where it's almost on the verge of a literary version of like a tragic comedy versus a play version. Yeah, I I haven't picked it up in so long, and I need to go back and and read it again. I don't think I've I've read to the end of that series, but that was another that I also followed those books for a while. Uh, Ian, what about you? Is there any uh, that you are thinking of. Is there anything that we haven't mentioned today so far? Actually, the it's either the third or the fourth Honor Harrington novel that is... It's not a full tragedy in the sense that the hero dies at the end. It very easily could have been. However, the ending of the novel does end with Honor politically disgraced and exiled from her home kingdom. It is also probably one of the best books in the early part of the series. And at the very least, it does have an absolute worm of a character get his comeuppance. Mm -hmm. So there's that. But yeah, I think otherwise, all of the other, any other tragedies that I really wanted to talk about, I already put in the script. Mm -hmm. uh, for me, there's a Xenoblade for everything. <laughs> and... For me, it would be the Xenoblade 2 prequel DLC, uh, Torn of the Golden Country. Holy crap. <laughs> you want to talk about tragedy? Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, so the story follows the main bad guy of main game 2 uh, before he was a bad guy. <laughs> And, you know, <laughs> let's just say good characters inadvertently destroy continents. Terrible things happen. <laughs> children die. <laughs> Name ch children characters. Whew. It's very, very bad. And the ending 
we see the ending in the main game. We don't get to re-see that ending, which is the main character of the DLC, Jin, who is a blade, uh, which is a type of being that is awoken by a human and uh, connects with them. And when the human dies, they return to a crystal form. And when they are reawoken by another human, they ha memories are completely wiped from their previous life. So Jin, in order to not forget his driver, Laura, eats her heart so that he uh, does not forget, uh, return to his core crystal uh, and forget her. And he is now basically mortal, unable to die. And the final monologue he gives, holy crap. <laughs> I'll we we have to put like <laughs> the ending of it in the credits for people to understand how tragic it is and I'll show you guys after the show because oh my god <laughs> like each Xenoblade game makes me cry at the end for different reasons <laughs> Tona is wow I feel so sorry for everyone here <laughs> <laughs> um, Ian, so no new mail within the mailbag this week? No new mail today. We love to hear from our listeners, so if you want to reach out and uh, have a shoulder to cry in about any tragedies you've read recently, you can send us an email at fanfictapes at gmail.com. You can also leave a comment on our YouTube channel or leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Uh, we also continue to have a social media presence on Twitter, formerly X. Uh, Maya normally runs that, uh, and she mostly posts about our new episodes, but occasionally posts some behind-the-scenes stuff and shit posts. All righty. Sounds good. Helna, anything you want to promote Get that plug in while you're here. Nothing uh, in particular. Are you just... sure? Uh, are there any fan works <laughs> that you maybe are involved in? Oh my god, too many. I, uh, it would take forever for me to list them. You know that. You know that. Um, oh, goodness gracious. No, no, I'm not even going to try. No. Where can um, people find you and maybe perhaps find out about all these fan works you work on? <laughs> uh, so I, yeah, okay, fine. I yell about stuff usually on Twitter, which I have stayed on for some bizarre reason. Don't ask me why. Um, but I also frequent Tumblr um, and I can be found here on Discord. If you ever want to chat, drop me a line. I'm not that closed off of a person to my own detriment sometimes. Um, it's true. And also, just in general, go watch things. Go watch plays. Go watch TV shows. Go watch movies. Watch good ones. Watch bad ones so that you know what the good ones are. And enjoy. There's so much out there. Tragedy is a great genre, but it's one of many, and you are bound to find something out there in the visual and literary media world that you enjoy. Awesome. Cool. We'll, we'll be sure to put some links to your handles in the description so people can mm -hmm. actually find you. 
anyway, yell at you. Sounds good. <laughs> anyway, please, please come yell at me. <laughs> yes, we will. I mean, we're always yelling at you, but now we can get others to do it for us too. Usually just to go to bed, but you know, <laughs> sleep. Um, so I have been Dylan, and with me today we've had our guest. Helena slash Edelweiss slash whatever I happen to go by. Missed too many names. Okay. <laughs> and and I have been Ian. Until next time. Bye. Bye.